Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Jen McCaffrey of Mass Live, along with BP's managing editor, Brett uh, Cowett. Um, guys, how are we doing? Good, how are you? Doing great. What's going on? Uh, not too much. Excited to be back talking socks. Um, so um, you can find Jen on Twitter at, at JC McCaffrey, and you can find Brett on Twitter at, at BA Cowett. Um, guys, uh, we've got a good amount of topics to discuss today. Uh, first thing I want to kick off with is uh, the Patriots Day game yesterday, one of the unique traditions here in Boston. Um, Marathon Monday, we always have the 11 o'clock start. Um, so, Jen, I wanted to ask you, um, what is that atmosphere like at the Patriots Day game? Because it is kind of a unique thing to Boston. And uh, what was it like yesterday? And can you compare it to anything else in um, baseball? Yeah, you know, not really. You can't really compare it to too many things. I mean, you don't – I that's really the only 11 a.m. game that I ever uh, – Honestly, aside from high school sports back in the day that I've covered, uh, you know, on a professional basis uh, in this job. So, I mean, um, it's an early start. And I think it's kind of, you know, the, the guys always we've talked about the, this game with the guys over the years. And they really recognize just the importance of, you know, what this first of all, what the, the holiday originally means. And obviously, since the marathon bombings, what it what kind of it means now. Um, so I think they, you know, it's kind of a, a crazy day um, with, with the schedule and everything kind of starting really early in the morning. We met with Farrell at uh, 9 a.m. yesterday. We had to be at the park yesterday by 8 
normally we don't get there until about two or three for a, for a night game. So, um, yeah, everything's a little kind of pushed up. But, yeah, the, just the festivities and uh, everything surrounding um, the marathon, just the holiday itself, this, this uh, you know, week in Massachusetts, it's uh, school vacation for a lot of the public schools. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of a big a big week for, for everybody, and the, the players recognize it. And, and I think for the most part, like to be a part of it and, and uh, just recognize the importance and the, the pregame festivities with the flag on the, on the green monster. And, um, yeah, it was, it's, uh, it's always a special day. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like it's been a, a very different environment since 2013. And I know you're a Massachusetts resident as well. I don't know how long, how long have you been covering the team? Have you seen a difference um, between how it's treated pre-marathon bombing and how it's been treated since, you know, Poppy's speech and, and since that World Series run that they went on? Yeah, that actually, that 2013 um, year was my first uh, Patriots Day Marathon Monday game that I've ever covered. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, it was, um, I, I don't know that I can compare it to too much before then, but I, I think there's definitely an elevated sense of pride for the city, um, especially with the team kind of being at the center of everything um, that day. Uh, I think it's just brought about just a, a kind of a just a yeah just I guess a sense of pride is the best way to put it um in in kind of what the 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 team represents for the city and and kind of what everybody has overcome since then yeah absolutely I know I still get shivers whenever I watch the uh the poppy speech from from 2013 um, so I want to talk about the game yesterday. Um, the, the start that happened yesterday was a Stephen Wright start. And um, so far this season, the, the first two starts that we saw from Stephen Wright uh, hadn't gone very well. And that's, you know, to, to, to say the least, he kind of got hammered. Um, to, to start it off yesterday, though, Stephen Wright didn't look all that good. Um, his control seemed off. He was throwing a lot of balls high in the zone, not a lot of movement on his knuckleball. Um, but by the end of the game, he ended up, you know, pitching six strong and uh, only giving up two runs. Um, what did you see from him yesterday? Did you think that we were seeing an improved version of Stephen Wright, or was he kind of dancing around trouble and maybe got a little bit lucky? Yeah, I think yeah, we've talked to Farrell kind of about what he's seen from Wright in the early going here, and he talked about just um, a slight adjustment he's made in his in his delivery. And uh, yesterday, Farrell was saying he kind of thought that it. The knuckleball um, didn't really have the the depth that it normally does, and it was kind of leaking back out. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Wright can't necessarily exactly control where the knuckleball is going to go once it leaves his hands. But um, he was just saying, kind of in the in the delivery and in the motion of of kind of when he goes before the pitch leaves his hand, that things they've kind of been noticing a few things that they want to work on with him. So he. Uh, he, uh, Wright did work with, um, Tim Wakefield earlier this week. Um, just kind of something, I guess, uh, Wakefield had seen, um, and, and Farrell talked about the importance of obviously having a guy like Wakefield in the organization for, for Wright to bounce things off of. So, yeah, I think, um, right now, you know, as, um, as good as we've seen him in the past, um, you know, at the beginning of last year, we also know that things can get erratic pretty quickly. So I think that they're trying to get ahead of this um, at this point. Um, and, you know, he he gave up, I think it was, what, three runs, one earned because uh, of the uh, the error there. But, um, yeah, it, it uh, I think he I think he's trying to get ahead of things here and, and kind of figure out a couple quirks 
and uh, and see where he can kind of go from here. Yeah, it's sort of an always an ongoing uh, thing to to tweak your mechanics as as a knuckleballer. It seems like uh, this is something that we saw with Wakefield too. It would be, you know, a few outings of really good baseball followed by a few catastrophic outings. It might just be uh, kind of the way that it is to live with these guys. Why are the Red Sox so comfortable living with knuckleballers? It seems like something that's become an unofficial team tradition. I know it, it is kind of a curious thing uh, that you know they, they've had you know they had Wakefield for such a long time and now Wright is uh, obviously a pretty big part of their rotation. I'm not I'm not too sure. I don't know if it's just because it, Wright obviously came onto their radar in a pretty um, you know over a kind of a quirky way and in, in the way that they have eventually found him, but. Um, maybe it was just kind of the comfort in, in knowing that, uh, you know, they had already dealt with a guy like Wakefield. Um, but I'm not, yeah, I'm, it is kind of curious that, you know, this has been such a, a mainstay in their, in their rotation for, for quite a while now. Yeah. Not, not sure what I'd do without the Red Sox having a knuckleballer. I'm 30 years old. So since I've been a Red Sox fan, I've pretty much always seen a knuckleballer in the rotation. It's, it's comforting at this point. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I'm not. I guess comforting when he does well, when they do well, and uh, and then other days probably nerve-wracking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so let's get to this whole crazy injury illness um, thing that's been going on with the team since really the start of the year. We've had so many guys uh, on the team missing time due to whether it has been injury or illness or. Uh, what have you in the flu and then we had the even the announcers Bill O'Brien leaving the game with the flu and it, it got to sort of epic proportions to the point where last week's podcast we focused a lot on the flu thing um, are you surprised at this point Jen and Brett as well um, that you have that the team has been able to manage uh, as well as they have at this point. They sit at 8-5 and five. they're only a game out of first place at this point um, and they've played exactly i want to say zero games with who they thought would be their entire complete lineup because jackie still hasn't come back yet and he should later in the week but um are you surprised with where they are considering all these difficulties they've had so far yeah i think so i mean obviously the you know we came into the season with pretty high expectations for them um so in that sense you know they're kind of starting off on the right foot but given like you said all, all these obstacles that have um, kind of come about with injury and, and you know, um, illness and, and kind of guys coming up and down and, and even the, the leave of absence for, for Bogarts and, and Barnes with their grandmothers passing away. Um, all these kind of unexpected variables that uh, have, have been thrown into the mix. And, you know, uh, people are really tough on Farrell and uh, John Farrell in this city, um, but I think you kind of have to give him credit. Um, you know, especially in these first couple of weeks for, for kind of managing uh, all these unexpected things that have been thrown at them. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm a little surprised that they kind of have been able to, to kind of pull this off. Uh, they've had a lot of these kind of late comeback wins. Uh, the offense has really um, pulled them back into things. I think they're, you know, the, the bullpen has probably been one of the biggest surprises uh, just because there's, you know, you, you don't have Tyler Thornburg. You weren't really expecting that. Um, you, you were expecting to not have Carson Smith, but still, um, that's obviously another thing that they're missing. So um, the way that they've come together, I think, has really picked things up for the team and, and just kind of the uh, this relentless offensive approach that they've had late in games without David Ortiz, I think, has been a, a, bit, a tad of, bit of a surprise. 
um, because he was always the clutch guy, obviously, that that pulled them back when they needed it. So I would say, yeah, I would say it's a surprise that they've been able to uh, pull themselves uh, you know, together in the early going with all these, uh, like we said, unexpected variables. How about you, Brett? You feel the same way? Yeah, a little bit. I think I'm more impressed with what the bullpen's been doing since when in our preseason prediction things, we kind of said like a pivot point for the Red Sox to be how good Craig Kimbrell will be. And he has been, except for I think one outing, he has been fantastic. There's, I've had no complaints about him. And with, you have the amalgam of Matt Barnes, Joe Kelly, all taking up the eighth inning role, and they've all been good. Matt Barnes looks like he might actually be more than just another guy in the seventh inning. He might be someone who could be used like Tyler Thornburg and Carson Smith in the eighth inning to set up for Kimbrell. And considering how bad every starting pitcher other than Chris Sale has been, the bullpen stepping up has been huge, especially with everybody's worry about how bad the bullpen might be without Thornburg and Smith. So that's impressive. The way the offense gets go- the way the offense gets going without like Mookie and Hanley, in that, especially in that Detroit series, even though it didn't really come out well, that I think was the most impressive to me because after about the fourth spot, you're just kind of like, okay, who's going to be offense? And then Sandy Leone reappears again because it's just it's just impressive how resilient it is. Farrell, do- I agree with Jen. Farrell does get credit, even if Farrell does have the weird decisions with bullpen management but that's neither here nor there that's always argued so to me that's it's more impressive the the offensive has gotten so far that the bullpen has really stood has really stood tall with the starting rotation not really being there outside of sale yeah you know you guys both mentioned the bullpen when you talk about the surprises early on so i want to ask you jen um how solidified are those roles getting because farrell has hinted that um barnes maybe his eighth inning guy and it seems like kelly and hembry are sort of locked into sharing that seventh inning um just how solid is that yeah i think it's kind of a it's becoming more solid with each you know uh with each passing game here um i think that you know it's still only 13 games into the season and i think we need to uh, recognize that um and so while they're they're they've been very good um i think we need to see more of it too um but Farrell is sort of a, a creature of habit, I guess, if you will. And he, he tends to kind of go back to, you know, what he's comfortable with. And we've seen that in the early going with, look, like you said, Barnes in the eighth, Hembry, Kelly, um, you know, obviously Kimbrell has that role in the ninth setup. But, um, yeah, it just uh, it seems like those guys, those those roles are kind of becoming a little bit more defined. Um, and, and so I think that that's kind of where we'll see things uh, continue going, but also kind of just have to keep in mind, you know, when someone does start to struggle, um, you know, who's going to kind of fill in here and there. So, yeah. Um, two questions that come to mind. Um, first one here is um, what the heck is going on with Fernando Abad? It's um, it's sort of odd at this point. He has only two innings so far. Doesn't really seem like he has a clear role on the team. Um, you know, when, when Eddie Rodriguez comes back, it seems like there might be a roster move that could be made there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure what to make of this, so I want your opinion on what the team does with a bod. And then second, um, you and Brett both mentioned Craig Kimbrell and how he's been really good, especially the last three times out. Have there been any adjustments that he's made or that he's talked about to his approach that have helped him kind of dial in his control a little bit? As far as the bod, um, I think we're all a little bit uh, confused about that situation in general. Um, I'm not 
a hundred percent sure, you know, where that kind of stems from in terms of his, uh, you know, lack of usage in the early going it, you know, this is total speculation, but maybe Farrell, uh, was not extremely happy with him going to the WBC. I'm not sure you know, when, when Abad was, you know, sort of fighting for a, for a roster spot. Um, so, but then again, you know, they, they kind of, and they go through that whole situation with him um, in arbitration over the off season. So it seems like a very odd relationship the team uh, has with Abad. I'm not sure. Um, I don't want to say that they're necessarily taking it out on him by not using him. Cause that would seem strange as well, but it, it does seem odd, you know, that they're not using him if, you know, they wanted to, um, d- you know, keep him on to begin with. Um, why wouldn't they just, have made the decision before the season to kind of let him go. Um, so it's a, it's, it's sort of a strange situation there. Um, and, you know, Robbie Scott, obviously, you know, Robbie Ross is their, you know, top lefty number one, you know, lefty out of the pen. But I think Robbie Ross, obviously, or Robbie Scott has um, kind of maybe done a little bit of uh, something unexpected in terms of just the consi- carried over the consistency from last season. And, and maybe that's, um, been a factor as well in terms of pushing a bot out of out of a secondary role. Um, yeah, it is. But I will agree that is one of the stranger things on this team in the early going of what they're doing with him and um, how they're planning to use him. You know, going forward with with guys coming and going. Um, as far as Kimbrel, I don't. You know, I don't think uh, there's been many adjustments per, per se. You know, he just kind of has to go out there and you know some days are going to be bad. Um, and those are few and far between. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, him throwing and kind of how he feels that day. He said it, you know, time and again of just kind of how he comes in the morning and go. He has a pretty strict um, kind of workout routine pre and post game. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of, you know, how he feels. Uh, and it, it's kind of, you know, strange to say, but, you know, if he doesn't, you know, get enough sleep the night before or something along those lines, I, I feel like he's pretty in tune with uh with kind of with how he goes about his his routine and and knows his body pretty well um so the stretch that he's on right now you know he's he's feeling really good i don't think he hasn't told us you know that he's made any adjustments or um when we've when we've spoken to him so uh i think it's just a matter of kind of executing those pitches and and kind of um getting out there on a consistent basis, not having too many days down is a big thing for him because he kind of falls out of his rhythm. So I think that's important. Um, and, you know, we saw yesterday, you know, on Monday with the, uh, the third straight day um, that he was out there and how crispy was um, with three straight strikeouts. So uh, yeah, he's, he's been phenomenal so far. He, he, he seems like a guy who, who might be a little bit high maintenance. It, it seems like uh, sort of the the opposite of what you read about Andrew Miller. How Andrew Miller can kind of come in and in any circumstance and and get outs. And it's been noted that Kimbrel has this sort of propensity not to want to come in um, when it's not a safe situation, and he struggled in those areas. Um, and it seems like from what you're saying, he is highly reliant on how he feels. Um, is this sort of uh, volatility? from him something that has been a part of him his whole career or is this something that's relatively new since his time with Boston no I think it's something that he the way he's always been um you know he's 
he's sort of a more uh, quiet, reserved guy, uh, so it's hard to get a lot out of him. And, uh, you know, when he doesn't really want to talk, he's not really going to say much. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I think that, you know, when he's, when he's on and when he's doing really well, um, that's what they, you know, that's what they want. And that's what they, you know, gave up all the prospects for, um, you know, there are just the being, being a closer and the nature of closing, he's gonna, you know, have days where things go awry and he doesn't look anything like he did, you know, yesterday. Um, so yeah, um, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting dynamic with him. I would agree with your (laughs) comparison of, uh, uh, him and, and Miller where Miller can kind of do anything. I don't think, you know, um, Kimbrell would be successful in any kind of role that Andrew Miller was like last, last season in the playoffs or anything along those lines. Um, so, you know, he's good at, at kind of this one thing and I think he's comfortable in that role and, um, he'll perform, you know, extremely well when he is comfortable and when he's doing well. And, you know, whether or not that's the most, um, I, I guess, you, you know, you kind of have to be, um, you kind of have to know that going in, I guess, and whether or not that's, you know, if you want someone more flexible, I'm not sure that, you know, he's going to be able to provide that. But when he's good, he's good. Absolutely. They got they got him for the ninth inning. So I guess as long as he's doing well, leave him there and leave him alone. Um, so I want to ask you both, um, Brett and Jen, um, to kind of prognosticate a little bit here. Um, will Abad be on this team one month from now? Um, I'll go with Brett first. I I kind of don't think so. Uh, Robbie Scott, I really like. He was always he at base he was always going to be a loogie guy, a guy just goes out and gets lefties. And if he's more than that, that's a really that's a small but really potent developmental win for the Red Sox in a time they kind of need pitchers. And Robbie's and Robbie Scott's good. He'll be fine as a primary lefty if they really need it. Who can get a couple right-handers out if they need to. So Abad's just kind of a luxury at this point, and it's not one they can't afford. It's just one they don't particularly need when they can use that slot for like another rookie reliever or another long or another long man they can put in the bullpen. So he's he's just kind of a man out of time right now. He's 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 expendable. You think the same thing, Jim? Yeah, I mean, um, that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. You know, Farrell has been extremely complimentary of Ben Taylor in the early going, and I, you know, could envision a scenario where they want, you know, that kind of uh, role for Taylor to kind of be the, uh, you know, the middle relief guy and and putting him in some situations, you know, and they're not, especially, you know, if in a month, Abad, you know, still has fewer than five appearances, um, it it's got to, you know, it seems like they would have to do something about that. Yeah, it's certainly not getting a whole lot of use out of the roster spot. I agree with both of you guys. I think that he will be gone eventually. Um, Brian Johnson does get the start today up in Toronto. Uh, he is opposing Marcus Stroman, so uh, Sox fans better hope that that offense shows up in a big way today. Um, we haven't seen the best of Brian Johnson when he has been up with the team um, and this has been sort of a glaring weakness for the Red Sox over the last few years has been starting pitching depth. And when one person gets hurt, there hasn't necessarily been a great uh, plethora of people to uh, to fall in line. And we know, um, you know, the struggles that the Red Sox have had over the last 10 plus years or so of developing homegrown starters. Uh, I want to ask you, Jen, uh, a couple things here. Um, 
you know, how do you see the team addressing this as the year goes on? Obviously, if there was an injury to uh, anybody that was out a significant period of time, it seems like they'd have to turn to Brian Johnson or Henry Owens or uh, Kyle Kendrick. Um, and, and neither of those seem like great options at this point. So is that something you think the team will explore uh, via trade? Or is that just an accepted weakness that, you know, the team is just going to have to deal with? Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I'd imagine Dombrowski obviously is always kind of wheeling and dealing and looking for, you know, ways to plug holes and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's there's not that much reliable depth. Again, you know, if there, I guess you could argue too, if there was, then they'd be, they'd be uh, you know, in the majors somewhere else um, or, you know, have already been traded for, for you know, like another key piece. Um, but, uh, I guess that's kind of what depth starting is, is, you know, sort of these fringy guys that can kind of help you out. Um, I, obviously they're looking for, you know, Brian Johnson to kind of continue on this stretch he's been on in this early going, you know, it's only been two starts and that one start he had to leave early because he got hit in the head again. Um, but he's looked good and he's looked sh- uh, sharp, um, you know, even just coming off of spring training a few, you know, a month or so ago, um, they didn't see uh, exactly what they wanted to see out of him in spring training. And, you know, these first two starts in Pawtucket have been promising. So, um, yeah, but going back to your original question, I, I, you know, I could foresee them going after a guy that's, you know, on a, a team that's struggling this summer and, and probably not going anywhere if, if you know, they want to, um, especially depending on what situation they're in themselves. Um, if they know that they're going to need someone down the stretch to help out with spot starts here and there, um, yeah, it'd be it'd be pretty. Um, it wouldn't be out of line, I guess, for for Dombrowski to go and, and kind of try to find someone to fill a hole here and there. Yeah, it seems like um, to to do that, you'd be unsure who they'd send out, and you'd hope it wouldn't be anybody uh, big because there's not too many big names left in that system there. But hopefully, it would be uh, after. Some sort of a, a fringe starter, like you said, somebody that's just marginally better than what they already have there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, kind of going off those lines, we saw, you know, earlier uh, this spring, um, you know, there was the the thought, oh, the Red Sox should have kept Clay Buckles, you know, to keep, um, you know, an extra an extra depth starter in the in the in the in the uh, organization. And today we find out that you know Buckles is going for surgery on his elbow and is going to be out for the rest of the year. So, I mean, it, it's so, um, I guess, t- tough to project on these guys, you know, who's, how you can kind of hold on to some of these, um, you know, 4A guys, if you will. Um, so, you know, what they have with Brian Johnson and, and Henry Owens right now, it, it could be worse, could be better. Um, but I think if they can find something better, um, then sure that they'll, they'll look for that. Um, let's get some updates on the injury front. We've got Jackie Bradley slated to come back later in the week, uh, and Price is progressing and might face some live batters soon. Uh, what are the timelines for both of those guys? Sure. Um, Bradley is supposed to be, uh, actually Bradley and Josh Rutledge, who, um, at the end of spring training had, uh, um, that hamstring injury that's kept him out. The two of them are going to be joining, um, Pawtucket. Um, in Charlotte on the road on Tuesday, uh, which is today, I guess. Um, the days all run into each other. Um, so they'll start um, off with uh, 
well, first of all, let's say that Josh Rutledge, is, his his progression is going to be, you know, taking a while because he's missed so much time. So he's going to be with Pawtucket for a while. But Bradley um, is going to start out with uh, five innings um, today uh, with Pawtucket and starting in center. And then he'll play nine on Wednesday um, again in center. He'll have kind of an off day on Thursday where he, he'll work out and kind of see how he feels after two straight days. And the expectation is that he'll join the the Red Sox in Baltimore on Friday. Um, but obviously they kind of have to see how he feels uh, coming out of these two games. So that, that'd that be positive, if, obviously, if he could come back on Friday. Price, um, you know, had a pretty heavy work workload last week, and Farrell mentioned that a couple times. The, the um, thought process was that he would uh, see live batters at some point this week. Um, we've asked him a couple times about an update on Price, and he kind of said he hasn't gotten into it yet, hasn't gotten to it. So I'm of the mindset that maybe they're going to have him throw another bullpen. Um, maybe, uh, you know, he came out, he seemed to have come out of last week well and, you know, strong, but I, I'm not sure, um, if they just want to have him throw another bullpen before live batters. So we haven't heard an update on that yet. And I'm sure that'll, um, come today at some point later today when Farrell meets with the media in Toronto. But, um, yeah, at this point, um, it's either another bullpen or, or live batters and, uh, they'll go from there. Let hey, me Jen, ask, oh, sorry, go ahead, Brett. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, the status of like Tyler Thornburg and Carson Smith? We know Carson Smith's coming back from Tommy John, but Thornburg, his kind of timeline's been pushed back to the end of the month to May. So what's going on with him? Is he still get? Is he still pitching, or is he even pitching just yet? Yeah, no, he had started a throwing program at the beginning of last week. I guess he had been delayed a little bit because he too had been hit by the flu um that first week or so so he was supposed to get started throwing right around um right after opening day uh had a few down days so he started throwing at the beginning of last week and he's been um so far he hasn't to my knowledge he hasn't thrown a bullpen yet he's just been doing long toss and the last time um the last update i remember getting on him a couple days ago was he was out to 90 feet um usually those guys you know somewhere try to get out to about 120 um, before they start doing bullpens. So I would imagine he um, is probably right around the time to be ready to throw a bullpen. Um, but again, haven't heard anything along those lines um, in, a, in a couple days. Um, how about Carson Smith? Where's he at? Carson Smith, um, same thing, kind of in the, the long toss uh, phase of his uh, routine. Obviously, he's going to be on a little bit of a uh, different uh, schedule than Thornburg just because of, uh, you know, the, obviously the amount of time and the injury that he's been away, but, um, he'll, uh, he's, he's been in the long toss phase, I guess, since probably since the end of spring training. And that's probably, that'll, that was going to take a few weeks. They said, um, he hasn't gotten into bullpens yet, but that, that would be the, uh, natural progression of bullpen to sim game. And then he, he he's still down in, uh, Florida. Um, so he'll he'd probably stay down there and, and um, continue working out there uh, before kind of going into a minor league rehab type type situation, um, which I'm sure he'd probably be, you know, doing minor league rehab for a month or so at least. Uh, so, I mean, the initial timeline was was June. Um, we haven't heard anything that's, you know, straight from that. But again, it's already the middle of April. So um, I've I've kind of assumed that he wouldn't be back before the all-star break, but 
I guess we'll kind of see um, where that progress goes. Uh, we've been asking everybody that comes on the show um, what their gut feel is on the price situation. Um, and I wanted to ask you, how many starts do you think that he ends up getting this year? How many innings? Uh, let's see. I, I'm i assuming he won't be back with the team for at least another, I would say, mid-May, mid to end of May. Um, let's say he makes... You know, let's say he makes 20 starts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if uh, how good those starts will be. I think that's the big thing that's curious to me is that uh, you know everybody's waiting for him to come back, come back, come back. But we don't really. I'm not sure you know what he's going to look like when he comes back. If he's going to be as crisp and sharp, and you know this, he hasn't really dealt with something like this before. So um, is that going to be? sort of wearing on him mentally of, you know, every, uh, when you're, when you're dealing, when you've dealt with an injury, injury, you know, how, you know, every little thing might feel like it's another big blow of some sort. And we know that he's dealt with a lot of the mental aspect of the game in the past too. So, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm curious to see how he comes out of this, uh, in the, in the next couple months. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, even if he does come back, we have no idea what to expect from him in terms of how he's going to perform. How is this different? Didn't he he hurt his um his flexor mass um, when he was with Tampa Bay? Um, he missed some time when he was there, and he came back from that injury and was pretty much his old self. Um, how is this different than that? That's a good. That's a good question. Um, unfortunately, um, I don't know uh, exactly the. Uh, um, I guess how different the flexor mass is compared to the you know tendon that he that he supposedly injured this time around. I would imagine it's all related. Right. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really know. Um, you know the medical side of things, but uh, on that aspect, but. Um, you know, maybe he does come back and he's he's strong as ever. I'm just thinking, you know, with the age and um, just even, uh, you know, we're, I mentioned Clay Buckles um, a little while ago. And, you know, he had that second opinion, I think, from Andrews, Dr. Andrews. Was it last year? Um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, he had a second opinion at some point on his on his uh, arm at one point. Yeah, and it was last year. Yeah. Um, my timeline's kind of getting all messed up, but. He had a second opinion last year about his arm from Andrews and, you know, less than a year later, he's having surgery. So I, I don't know. I guess just I'm always just a little skeptical of, um, of uh, and of course, where I'm going with this is that Price obviously had his elbow looked at and uh, initially and they said no surgery. But, you know, where, where does that go in six to nine months? So, um yeah, I guess I'm just a little <laughs> skeptical um, of of how this will all pan out. Um, but I guess we kind of have to wait and see. So. Yeah, well, I, I think it would have been hard to be more skeptical about anybody than I was of Drew Pomerantz um, coming back <laughs> from his injury and his spring that he had. Um, but honestly, my jaw almost hit the floor when I saw him for his first start, and he uh, – he was really good there, and even in his second start, the stuff was clearly there. He was bringing it, and he struck out 10 guys there. Um, what were your impressions of seeing Pomerantz 
uh, in those two starts. And what do you expect from him going forward? Because I probably was one of his biggest detractors um, for this season in terms of what I was expecting out of him. Sure, yeah. I mean, that second start um, with the 10 strikeouts was uh, pretty promising. His stuff seemed to be uh, moving a lot. He got a lot of swings and misses uh, for him anyway. And so, you know, that's something we haven't seen much of at all from him. You know, the home runs are always going to be a problem for him, I feel like. So that, you know, kind of marred the the five runs on that line. Um, but the, the big thing with him, I think, is kind of getting deeper into games. I think that's, that second start was only about four and a third innings. So, um, and then, you know, the bullpen kind of uh, had to come in and save the day again. Um, so, uh, again, like, I, I, it was a promising start, and he's looked good in the early going. Um, and I, I'm just I, – I think I wrote something the other day. I'm just not sure, you know, we still aren't 100% sure what to, what to expect from him. Um, you know, last year was sort of, uh, you know – up and uh, up and down there were a few you know blips of good starts here and there but but then you know by and large it was not what you were hoping for you know after trading Anderson Espinosa for him and then you know this the start of this year is pretty good spring training was not good so I think he just needs to kind of go he would need to for me to be uh, I guess confident in him um, in his you know ability to keep going out there I would need to see a, you know five of these pretty strong starts at least to to say okay um maybe he can kind of get in a role and can be um you know this this guy that they're at least hoping he could be so it sounds like you've got a healthy skepticism too you're going to need <laughs> to see a lot more than what you've seen yeah i mean i don't know i think i'm just thinking it, it, it's so early in the season and and uh you know he kind of just came off this spring training where things were so up and down um, yeah, I just, you know, I need, I, I try to keep in perspective that, you know, it's, um, it's early and I, I'd like to see, you know, more of it, uh, than, you know, before, before saying, you know, everything is fine with him. So we'll see, we'll see where, where everything goes from here. Yep. Certainly. It's, uh, it's always funny reacting to these super small sample sizes so early in the season and trying to glean anything real from them. It seems like we should, we should all be barred from talking about any of these things till we have at least a month of data, but then none <laughs> of us would have jobs, right? <laughs> True. Um, so uh, one of the other players who has been um, up and down in terms of expectations, and mostly down, I, I think it's fair to say, it is Pablo Sandoval, and he did show up to spring training in much better shape, and uh, he actually has a few home runs. I'm, I'm not sure if he's still leading the team in home runs and RBIs, um, but he hasn't been hitting very well in terms of average. He's been swinging at a lot of stuff. He's been terrible versus lefties, uh, and recently uh, a, a friend of the podcast, Evan Drellick, uh, came on and said that uh, – well, he didn't say this on the pod, but he, he wrote about it. He said that he thinks that uh, Pablo Sandoval – might be platooning soon. And I want to get your take on that. Like, what have you, been your impressions of Pablo Sandoval since he's been back? Uh, and do you see him turning into a platoon uh, situation with either Rutledge or Hernandez or whoever that platoon mate might be? Yeah, you know, obviously in the early going, this isn't the Pablo Sandoval that we saw in the spring hit, you know, over 300 and was kind of driving things all over the place. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I think that they're going to give him a little bit more time. I, you know, people on Twitter keep telling me, oh, you know, they need to keep him out of the lineup and put Marco in more. 
I, I think that, you know, they're trying to give him, you know, it's only been 13 games and they're trying to give him some time to, to work things out. Um, you know, he hasn't been up in this cold weather uh, really, you know, for over a year. Um, and I know that plays into a lot of uh, play, factors into a lot of guys play, you know, in April, of course. But um, yeah, I guess if it continues the way that it has been and he's still, you know, 0-4 uh, against lefties um, and, and kind of uh, really struggling, um, I could see, you know, I could I could see it, you know, with with Marco sort of uh, platooning with him there. Um and kind of filling in that hole because the third base, you know, position, as we know, has been a sort of a, a black hole the past few years in terms of offensive production. So at this point, you know, I, I don't think that that would happen anytime soon. You know, I think that they'd want to give him at least, you know, a, a month or so to kind of work things out. Um, he's coming back from that pretty significant arm injury and kind of working his way back in. So um, I don't think that they'd be abandoning him you know, in that sense anytime soon. Um, but again, obviously wins are the bottom line, the main factor here. So if he's not producing, then uh, some, they'll have to do something about it. What do you think about this, Brett? How much time should they give him? I, I agree with Jen here because he, even though he the, the results on there, he's only hitting 143. He's not hitting for a bunch of power. It's just only 381. He is still smoking the ball. Like there was a, there was a line drive he hit. I think, I think it was a couple games ago to right field that Steven Souza was lucky to catch because that thing was 105 off the bat. He's still sma- he's still hitting things to all fields with authority. It's just the hits aren't falling in, and this is something that Matt Corey wrote about back Friday. That's kind of a whole theme for the Red Sox. That the offense is still there. It's just they're getting kind of unlucky with everything they're hitting. They're hitting everything straight to the fielders, and Pablo Sandoval is a major, has a major issue with that. And it's not like it's a problem he can solve. He's just got to wait for stuff to drop in. And he's going to have issues against lefties because I don't think he was ever really that great against against lefties coming in, coming onto the team. And he only played seven games last year. He's going to have some rust even after going through spring training. So I, I still think they should give him a lot of leeway here. The leash is pretty long. He's still hitting everything hard. And honestly, turning to Marco Hernandez should be kind of considered a last-ditch effort because they really don't have that much stuff behind him. And Marco, I really like him, but he's kind of more of a bench piece in the end. So it's, it seems like both of you guys said Marco rather than Rutledge. Um, why why Marco instead of Rutledge if they do go to a platoon here? I'm, I mean, I'm thinking just because, you know, the way that we don't, we don't know when Rutledge is coming back necessarily. Uh, and, I mean, maybe when he comes back he'll be fine, but um, – I, I guess uh, Marco's been, a, uh, you know, been around a little bit more, and they seem to just like his his production, and just obviously the lefty bat there um, provides a little bit of, um, you know, something different. So um, yeah, I mean that's kind of um, where I was thinking. Yeah, I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, Brett, did you have something? And Marco has been, at least so far this year, it's not the example side, but Marco's been good against lefties too. So it's kind of a platoon with a reverse platoon split on the end of Marco Hernandez. So it's it's very strange how that worked out. It might not stay there, but it, it still works out even in the sense of a platoon, even if Marco Hernandez isn't a right-handed hitter. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not a not your your typical side of the plate that he'd hit from, but he's still been very effective against lefties. 
Um, so, Jen, I wanted to ask you about um, a recent piece that you wrote about um, spending some time with Andrew Benintendi's family. Um, can you talk about what that was like? Because watching Benintendi so far this early uh, part of the season has been unbelievable. The guy is clearly a special talent and um, someone that I think we're all looking forward to watching for the rest of the year. And clearly he can handle hitting second in the order. He's been awesome. Um, what was that like getting to talk to them? And what did you learn about Benintendi? Yeah, um, you know, one of the things about him is that uh, he's this really great talent, but he's not um, hes not necessarily the uh, most talkative guy. So it's hard to put into context a lot of what he's doing and um, that kind of thing. So uh, I had this idea in the offseason um, or in spring training, I guess, of, you know, what it, I had heard that he was pretty close with his family. And I knew a lot of them were, were around um, for his debut and in, in a, a lot of those games at the end of last season. Um, so uh, I found out that they were going to be in Detroit, um, which is only about four hours from uh, where they live in Madeira, Ohio. So I sort of proposed this idea to him. And uh, at first he was a little hesitant, but then uh, he kind of connected me with his family and um, that honestly, they couldn't have been, uh, more opposite of, you know, the way he presents himself. He's so kind of reserved and quiet and his family was so loud and, um, funny and, you know, cracking jokes the whole time. Um, but yeah, they just kind of, uh, it kind of gave me a little insight into how close he is with his family. Um, and just sort of, uh, you know, this journey, I guess they've all been on. Um, you don't really think about these, you know, top prospect guys, you know, coming up and performing and it's all about their numbers and, um, you know, how they're doing day in and day out and, um, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and every mistake they make is magnified. Um, but you don't really think about, um, sort of where they're coming from on a, on a personal side. Uh, so I, I kind of, uh, was trying to dig into that, into what it's like, you know, from that side of things, um, especially through his family's eyes, that's kind of, you know, uh, made all these sacrifices and gone to all these games over the, you know, past 20 years or so, um, to, uh, to kind of, um, I guess, see this progression, um, along with him. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty, um, interesting, um, day to spend with them. And it took a little while to kind of pull everything together. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of just, um, yeah, I guess a little insight into a different, um, you know, a side of thing, a side of him that you don't normally see. One of the things that I think we all notice when we watch Benintendi is how much he carries himself like a veteran. He doesn't seem to ever get, you know, frazzled by whatever situation uh, there is. He always seems to have the same approach and his swings the same, like the the article mentioned. Did his family give you any insight as to how he got this kind of quiet, calm? you know, confidence that he has really in every situation? Yeah, his dad, um, you know, I asked his dad about that. His dad said he's he's honestly been like that since he was a kid. Um, you know, I think the fact that he is, the, he's the oldest, um, he has two younger sisters, but he's the oldest uh, um, of all of his cousins on his dad's side, which I think he has about 18 on his dad's side and seven on his mom's side. He's the second oldest. So I think he's always sort of um, been... Um, a little bit more mature just because of that, being the oldest, you know, kid in the family. Um, but also, you know, playing, um, he played uh, for this um, 
summer ball team, the Midland Redskins, which are pretty um, prolific in terms of putting out um, major league talent like, you know, Barry Larkin and um, uh, gosh, I can't even think of all the guys off the top of my head, but there it's in that story. Um, and uh, he was on a, uh, a U, he was on the U18 team uh, for that summer league uh, as a, as a 15 year old, because there was an opening and wow. he kind of filled in and he did so well that they didn't want to send him back down. So he talked about, he told me about how that sort of um, just being around the older guys really, um, you know, helped him figure out how to approach things um, in the game, you know, when to ask guys certain things and um, just kind of handling situations. So I, he's always sort of, yeah, you know, I think he probably just had this um, this sort of mature mentality, this sort of, you know, veteran mentality um, from the beginning, but just also his circumstances and being the oldest in his family and kind of being this young guy with older players is, has um, maybe accelerated that a bit too. That's awesome. That is really cool information uh, about him that, you know, we wouldn't have known. So thanks for uh, pointing that stuff out. Um, Brett, do you have anything about Ben Intendi? Do you want to hop in? Uh, it seems, at least when it comes to Instagram, that he and Brock Holt are becoming, like, best friends, at least with the Flow Bros thing going on. Has has that popped up a lot in the clubhouse between them? Do they like do they just like jab at each other a lot? Yeah, I mean their their lockers are right next to each other um, in in Boston, so they um I you know see them they all play this uh, well they play it's probably a, a several different games but um, this like video game on their phones um, that they kind of like compete against each other. So I know he is pretty uh, friendly with Brock, um, but also like Chris Young, you talked about his relationship with Chris and kind of how they're always competing. Um, you know, Chris, they want to always want to, you know, who can run fastest and throw and, um, you know, who's better at what. So, um, he seems to get along well with, with everybody, which is kind of, you know, not, um, I feel like not extremely common for such a, you know, young guy. He's the youngest guy, um, on the team and, you know, it, it is a young team, but just the fact that they kind of welcome in, him in so quickly as to, you know, not, He's not the. He doesn't really feel like the rookie on the team. He feels like just another one of the guys. Um, so I, I think that speaks a lot to um, you know how he presents himself and you know just his uh, uh, demeanor around around the players. On that note, Jen, I want to ask you about uh, one situation that's going on with the Red Sox, which is Xander Bogarts batting sixth. And one of the things that I've thought of a lot when thinking about him batting sixth is like. Here's a guy that was the starter in the All-Star game last year uh, in the American League um, who is now bumped all the way down to sixth, and he's got a rookie in Benintendi hitting second in front of him, and he's got Mitch Moreland who just came to the team hitting in front of him. Does Bogarts have any animosity or chip on his shoulder or anything like that that you kind of have noticed building up here uh, about this move down to the sixth spot? Because I, I assume that Bogarts is a really competitive guy. Yeah, I mean, we've asked him about it um, plenty of times about how he feels. And, you know, he's not the type of guy who's going to come out and be confrontational about that kind of thing. He just will reiterate the fact that he's just happy he's playing and happy he's producing. And, you know, it's all about the team. Um, but I'm sure there's sort of some, um, you know, uh, personal um, motivation for him to 
maybe move up to, to where he was, you know, last year in the order, uh, especially considering such, you know, the, the season that he had. Farrell has said on a couple different occasions that, you know, this isn't a permanent thing, um, uh, that they kind of just, that kind of is how it fell out, the, you know, considering he wanted to split up the lefties and righties to, you know, make it tougher for relievers later in the game. Um, but, um, you know, it's been, it's been working so far. So, I mean, um, I'm not sure, uh, if it necessarily will change anytime soon. Um, you know, and, and it's not as though he's, um, it's not as though, you know, you can't really say that more, you know, Moreland hitting in front of him is, is if Moreland was, um, you know, hitting terribly and not producing, then maybe it'd be one thing, but obviously he's doing really well. And same thing with Benintendi, you know, uh, the fact that he's been take, taken to that position so well, um, you kind of, it, it's sort of just the way things have fallen out. Um, and again, that's not to say I don't think it could, couldn't change later in the year. Um, but I think they're kind of in a good spot right now um, that they don't want to shuffle, you know, ruffle, ruffle anything up. And I think that Xander's sort of okay with where, where things are right now. But, um, you know, maybe that'll change at some point this year. Yeah, certainly winning cures all things. So as long as everybody's going good and Moreland is setting MLB records in terms of uh, consecutive games with doubles, um, it's hard to hard to say anything there, I guess. You'd, you'd, you'd seem extra like a jerk if you mentioned anything during the time when everybody's going really good. Sure, exactly, yeah. Um, so we want to get you out on this last question here. Arguably the best thing about this young season has been, and probably not even arguably, um, has been the three starts that Chris Sale has made. And I wanted to ask you, because we kind of compared him to a bunch of uh, past Red Sox aces, and the hot talk has been, is this the best pitcher uh, that the Red Sox have had since Pedro Martinez? And I personally think so, but I wanted to get uh, your take on this and Brett's take on this. So, uh, Jen, you want to tell us if this is the best thing we've had since prime Pedro? Yeah, I mean, and even I think I wrote something um, about this after that last start. Um, the, the numbers sort of back it up a little bit. Um, he, uh, I think, um, I'm trying to remember everything every number specifically here but the first three start they haven't had a guy um with in his first three starts of the season throw at least seven innings um with at least seven strikeouts and two or fewer earned runs since pedro in 98 um now you know you know what pedro did in 98 and that's not to say that you know sale is going to be as good as that um because you know, to be fair, as we've said the entire uh, this entire time we've been talking, and it's still only the first three starts, and you don't know what's going to happen from here. But um, that's kind of putting him in pretty um, elite company. And I know we knew kind of coming in that Sale was going to be um, very strong and very good. But I think there was sort of also this maybe this slight bit of um, yeah, but what about Porcello's first season? What about Price's first season in is sale going to kind of succumb to that pressure of Boston type thing. And so far he hasn't. Um, and these have been very good starts. Um, you know, Farrell said after that, this past start that, uh, this is, you know, your sort of sale is, is, is worth the price of admission. And one's the last starter that, um, you can think of on the Red Sox that you could say that about, 
And to my mind, you know, you say Pedro. So again, you know, that's pretty, um, that's kind of putting a lot on him, but again, they gave up a lot for him and he is one of the best, you know, pitchers last year he was and, and, you know, his entire career has been one of the best starters in baseball. So I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that, um, that, you know, to, that this is the, the best guy we've seen since Martinez. What do you think, Brett? I, I got to agree. I mean, when you think back between Sale and all the and all the top pitchers the Red Sox have had, at least in their rotation since Pedro, you only get maybe Lester at the beginning of the decade, uh, Beckett in the 2007-2009 eras. Um, and really none of them kind of compare to what to, to Sale, really. And it... And since we're going there, it kind of like begs the question, is there a chance that Sale can even get close to Pedro's level? Because Pedro had two of the best pitcher seasons of all time. And That's Sale definitely, definitely has a chance to like at least glimpse that, especially if he keeps going on this pace that he's going on. And it's he's such a great pitcher that you can really dream on him doing something great. And every now and then he'll – in in one start or another, he'll do something fantastic. Like he'll go seven innings and fourteen strikeouts or something like that. And it's it's kind of that it's he's kind of one of those players that he's already really good, and yet you're still in the back of your mind thinking, this guy can just explode for something historical in the next start. So he's got a chance to really be at least in the three years that he's here, at least on the contract, he's got a chance to do and be something really really great. So I think there I think. He's not going to come close to what Pedro did in Boston, but he's got a chance to leave a really good legacy here. Yeah, I think so. Um, I would say that he could come close to like 2003 Pedro, 2004 Pedro, that type of player. I don't think we'll see anything close to 99-2000 Pedro because that's just not fair for any uh, mortal under the sun, Clayton <laughs> Kershaw included, um, to, to even be compared to, but... It's fair to say that um, right now Sale could be on pace for the best season that Chris Sale has ever had. And uh, in my mind, uh, he's the front runner for the Cy Young right now in these very, very early days of the season. So I wanted to get um, your take on that, Jen. Do you think that he is going to be uh, one of the front runners for the Cy Young? And I'm going to ask for a super early, obnoxiously early prediction. Does he win the Cy Young? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, he's leading, he's right at the top right now in terms of all the statistical categories, but he also just sort of has the uh, the history of, um, you know, being one of the best. So it's not like you're, uh, it's, it's not like it's a wild prediction to say this is, you know, um, this is an elite pitcher we're talking about. He's, he's one of the best in the AL and he's off to a really great start. So um, sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, if you know, I put my money on it today. Um, I'm not sure I can think of anybody. Um, I'd have to maybe take a little bit of a closer look at, at some of the stats. But if if we gave the uh, the Cy Young award after three starts, he would he would definitely uh, get my vote. Yep, he he might be unanimous after three starts so far in the American League. Um, all right, so I guess that does it for the show. Um, Jen, thanks so much for joining us. We want to do a little bit of housekeeping before. Um, please, if you haven't gone on to Mass Live, uh, please go on and read all of what Jen writes on Mass Live. Also, go on to Twitter and follow her at JC McCaffrey. 
Um, you can follow Brett at B.A. Cowett, and you can follow myself at, at @devjake. Um, you can listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can subscribe to us there. Please rate and review the show if you do enjoy it, um, and share it with your friends if you enjoy it, because that's how we get popular. Um, and uh, tune in to us next time. So, Jen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a bunch. <laughs>